Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hey guys, you know it's that time again. The podcast awards are coming to an end on November 15th, so we could use your help. Go to podcastawards.com, and if you like the show, vote for us in the education section. We're trying to win that. Just go choose Smart People Podcast under education and submit your vote. Thanks so much. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Smart People Podcast. I'm Chris Stemp. And I'm John Rojas. John, stop playing on your phone. We're doing, I'm we're, playing, we're doing an intro. What game is this? I don't even Candy know. Crush? Candy Crush? I don't play that garbage. <laughs> Come on. Did we just give a plug for no money? Candy Crush, send us some money. Yeah, they pay everybody else in the world money to advertise for them. Yeah, it, that game sucks. No, it's awesome. No, it's not. It's terrible. Anyways, thanks for joining us, guys. Really appreciate you being part of the show. Your emails are coming in. We're getting these killer guests on. I'm having so much fun. John, I am like literally having fun doing this show every week. Well, there was that time when I turned to you and I wrote down on my pad, I was like, we're all sitting here geeking out now because we could see our guest on Skype and I could see Chris next to me. Both of us are all smiling and getting all giddy talking to him because we actually learned a lot. And we're talking about energy, which is something I didn't know I would be that interested in. But when you get these people who can say their thoughts so clearly and so concisely and so passionately, it really shows. So we're going to dive in. This week, we talked to Scott Sklar. Scott has been working in the renewable clean energy space for over 40 years. His bio is really long because if you're doing something for 40 years and you're good at it, you've done a lot of stuff. But he owns the Stella Group, which is a technology optimization firm advancing the utilization of clean energy, mostly in large buildings and corporate clients, things like that. He has also written or co-authored two books, The Forbidden Fuel and The Consumer Guide to Solar Energy. Scott's also an adjunct professor at George Washington University 
and he served for nine years as an energy and military aide to Senator Jacob Javits in New York and was co-founder of the Congressional Solar Coalition. So anyways, guys, I hope you find this interesting. Let us know what you think of this episode, the the past couple. Go to smartpeoplepodcast.com. I write up some posts. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're not. But check it out and get in contact with us. Also, we do have a sponsor this week. We're going to do the the mid-roll of them. But Squarespace, it's a great company. It's the easiest way to make a website. If you're into it, it's cheap. It's awesome. Use them and use our code SMART11. And don't forget to vote for us at the Podcast Awards, podcastawards.com. But most importantly, enjoy the episode. All right, well, Scott, thanks again so much for being on the show. I know you, you sent us a tremendous background. You have so much experience in the field of energy and just alternative energy, clean energy. I was hoping you could give us, in your words, a background of where you came from and and what you do. Well, I've been in the field for 40 years. uh, And actually, I was just on a webinar uh, last week on the 40th anniversary of the first Arab oil embargo. Oh, wow. And uh, I was working in in the U.S. Senate at the time and became an instant energy staffer and fell passionately in love with both energy and particularly the renewable energy options. And so I started my career in the Senate and I left to work at a national laboratory on focusing on clean energy, the National Center for Appropriate Technology, and then went to work for the environmental community to advocate for it. And then finally ran the solar and biomass industry group side by side for 15 years. And then the last 13 years, I created a company that blends all these clean energy solutions together into sort of what I'll call elegant, um, uh, elegant blends of technology for commercial, industrial, institutional, like hospitals and schools and uh, developing countries uh, who are folks who don't have energy. And I'm one of the few companies that actually blend all about 40 different kinds of technologies from about 600 companies around the world. Wow. That's a lot of technology. (laughs) Yes, sir. So for those of us that don't have it, you know, we haven't lived it. We have me personally, I have a general idea. When I hear clean energy, I think uh, solar and wind. Could you kind of give us a an inside look at when you in the industry refer to clean energy or renewable energy? what that means, and what is that in opposition to? Okay. Well, first, the first cornerstone of uh, clean energy is what's called energy efficiency. And basically, all that means is I'm using less energy to do the exact same thing. And so what that means to most people in their homes are energy-efficient lighting, uh, like compact fluorescence and now LED. And by the way, I have a home in North Arlington and also a separate office building, and they are totally produce their own energy. Wow. And in both cases, before I even started with renewable energy, I wanted to reduce the amount of electricity I used in either home, in either building. And so by using energy-efficient lighting, both daylighting, bringing in natural full-spectrum light without the heat, uh, and also uh, compact fluorescence and LEDs, 
I reduced my um, lighting load, which is about a third of the load, by about 80%. Wow. And so that's one way. Uh, I get rid of vampire loads. You know, we have a whole 10% of all the electricity we use in the United States is powering things that are not running. And you're thinking, what is that guy talking about? <laughs> well, you know, your TV sets that have a remote control or your stereos or your block charges for your, your cell phones or your DVD player, uh, they are, even when they're off, uh, using energy, using electricity. Some toasters are even using electricity. So the whole effect of being able to plug them into power strips and then when you're not using it, turn off the power strip. In my home, I have uh, sockets on the wall that have little all switches with an LED light on it. And so, for instance, in my guest room where there's a TV, I just turn the socket off. And when a guest comes, I tell them to turn the socket on so that TV is not drawing electricity when no one's watching TV. So that's another way to save 10% of your energy. Uh, ceiling fans save energy and attic vent fans. And so I have a solar attic vent fan in my house. And um, they save about 6 to 8% on your energy. Uh, Energy-efficient windows with low-E coatings and double-pane argon-filled windows I have in my house. And so it lets less cold air go in your air conditioning or heat go in your heating. And, of course, insulation. So those are the energy efficiency things. And, of course, very efficient heating and cooling systems. And in my home, I have a uh, geothermal heat pump, which uses 67% less electricity to heat or cool my house than a traditional heat pump. So those are the energy efficiency things. And then once you reduce your, your, your energy need, then you need even less renewable energy sources to meet the rest. And, and then there's a whole range of decisions people can make on that as well. And what, what kind of things would those be for, uh, say, a person at home? Uh... Well, the most average one I tell people is you get a solar water heater. Um, solar water heating is about 10 to 15 percent of your energy load. Um, solar water heaters are really, in most cases, uh, flat uh, panels that mount flat on your roof. And uh, they collect the sun's thermal rays, heat. It actually heats up like your car when your windows are closed during the summer, how hot it gets. And then there are little tubes in the solar water heater. And that uh, is filled with glycol. And that glycol is very hot and gets circulated with a little solar electric pump into a coil of tube in your water tank and heats your water. And so I have that in my home. I don't need, actually, I have a, a, a solar water tank, and then it is drawn on by my regular water tank. I never even have to turn on the electric heating element on my water tank uh, in the last few winters because we've had warmer winters. So it provides 100% of my energy to heat my water. And that's the most cost-effective kind of solar, except maybe for solar daylighting, again, that's bringing in natural light without the heat. They look sort of like skylights or little bubbles on your roof. So those are the, the cost-effective ways. And then, of course, what most people know are solar photovoltaics that generate electricity. And you can have a couple of different kinds of systems. In my two buildings here, they charge a bank of batteries. And then my house draws electricity from the batteries. So that means I get power day and night from the solar. And, of course, if the grid goes down, I have electricity all the time. 
Hmm. Uh, some people have what's called net metered systems, ah. meaning just during the ah. day they get solar and they use some. Uh, that's fine. And so, um, and then whatever they can't use, it will go into the electric grid. The problem with those kinds of systems, though, because you don't have batteries, if the electric grid goes down, you go down as well. You're dark, even though you have a solar system on your roof. But, of course, it's a less expensive system than having batteries. So those are the kinds of solar. And uh, there's more solar going in. Uh, solar, residential solar went up 61% for in 2012 uh, over 2011. So more and more people around the country are doing it now. The rules are easier, and, um, and most 45 states have interconnection rules to allow you to hook up. So people are beginning to understand that this is affordable and makes sense and, of course, has uh, not only economic implications but health and environmental implications. And I had a quick question. I mean it sounds like you've gone you know, all out for your home. What can a, a, a typical person expect, you know, when they make this investment? And, and you're saying that it's infor- affordable now, but how long does it really take to, you know, pay for itself? That type of thing. Well, for solar water heating, it's uh, three to five years. Oh, wow. For solar photovoltaics, it depends what kilowatt hours you're charged and where you live in the United States. If you live in the higher income, higher areas like Hawaii. Uh, Long Island, New York, uh, areas like that where electric rates are very high, it's about a seven to eight year payback. If you're living where I live in Virginia, it's like a 15 year payback. But I want to remind you that um, electric prices always go up. They never go down. True. And for, when and since my I focus on the business community, you know, losing power in a residence is inconvenient. But when you lose power in a business, you're losing money. And in this area of Virginia I live, we have about five outages a year that last more than an hour. And so in businesses, this can be cost effective in two to three years if you have outages. And remember, businesses also have higher uh, what they call electric sub rates in their bill and that are expressed as what's called demand charges or seasonal or peak power rates, or ratchet or spot market rates. So if you size your systems to get rid of these higher rates, you can have much shorter paybacks. In most states, they don't have those higher rates for residential folks, so you don't get as fast a payback. And you just opened my eyes to something, too, because Chris and I both live in Arlington as well. I didn't realize that we had one of the higher electricity rates. Yes. Not only Arlington has the higher electricity rates, we have more outages than most parts of Virginia because of all the tree canopy. Oh, yeah. I remember this summer, last summer, pretty bad. So, you know, what happens when we have an outage is all the neighbors come to my house and drink (laughs) my single malt scotch at night. Oh, I'm coming to your house. They bring you drinks so that (laughs) they can charge their cell phone. I love it. (laughs) I love it. So talk to us a little bit more. I mean, it's you really are an expert in the field, and it's one of those things, as I mentioned, everybody hears about. What are some of the things you've seen happen maybe in the past five years, and what do you expect to happen in the next five, really getting into the technologies we're using? Because I think, you know, 
um, I understand a little bit of how solar works, but having you on the show, I really am hoping to kind of get a lesson into really what we've done and, and where we're going and how this is. I mean, give me, give me what we're well, looking at. Remember, you know, in the earlier days of the industry, we were, what we were really trying to do is, is make the most efficient systems in the world. And the problem with that is just because it was the most efficient didn't mean it was easier to install. It wasn't necessarily the most aesthetic and in some cases had higher operation and maintenance. So, for instance, in all the buildings I work on, I don't tilt the panels to be exactly the right degrees with the sun. I have to face them south still because that gets the full east and west arc of the sun all day. But I flat mount them on the roof. So, they're, first of all, they look better that way. Secondly, leaves don't get behind there or raccoons or squirrels to chew through the wires <laughs> or wind doesn't start uh, uh, blowing against them and, and creaking your roof. So flat mounting has become better and therefore it costs less. But now there are all new technologies. There's, I have solar electric roofing shingles on my office building. On the front porch of my home, I have a peel and stick solar panels. They're not even glass that stick on a metal seam roof. And so uh, it's like a Band-Aid. You pull up the back and you stick it down. Uh, there That's are amazing. new kinds of uh, solar electric uh, panels that are on foam that you put on flat roofs of commercial buildings. So we're starting to create, there's even a solar window film out I'm doing on commercial buildings that I put inside the window and it gives it a tint and get, you can do them in different colors and they produce electricity. So we're getting a lot of new materials on the market, not only to be more aesthetic, but for instance, this peel and stick panels for metal seam roofs, uh, it takes a tenth of the time to put on a roof rather than if you have to have a metal seam roof, of course. And a lot of people live in condos and townhouses have metal seam roofs, so and in rural areas too. So you have a lot more choices now in terms of the technology to, to both have an aesthetic look and have lower installation costs. And that's a great change. And the other issue is that solar has basically halved its price over the last five years. So the panels are less expensive than ever before. And the last trend that I think is most interesting, actually there are two trends. One because of, of our software revolution and apps on smartphones, we're getting diagnostic systems on solar water heating and solar photovoltaic systems and, and small wind systems. So you can go on, on the Internet anytime and see how much energy you've got. If you have battery storage, how full your batteries are. And you can really make sure it's working optimally and in understandable ways and icons, not in numbers. And, and then batteries, because of cell phones and laptops and now hybrid vehicles, uh, batteries, we're in a renaissance of battery materials. And so I'm working with about 30 different kinds of batteries in all my different projects in infrastructure and in buildings and tied to solar and small wind and other kinds of renewable systems. And it's fascinating. And I think in the near future, meaning the end of this decade, the beginning of next, you'll see a lot more standardized, modular, web-enabled smart battery systems on the market that you can purchase from retail outlets in your home and, you know, and in some cases make your building sort of solar or small wind ready 
meaning you'll put the battery system in first and use maybe the grid to charge them up. And then your next year or, or when you do some renovation, you'll add your solar or small wind system, and that will charge that battery system, not the grid. So we're in a, in a whole range of new innovation that's just on the horizon. Yeah, now that's incredible. I didn't know that about the solar panels and, and how advanced they've gotten. And I thought of something. This might seem, man, I don't even know what the listeners are going to think about this question. but Oh, God. <laughs> I was thinking the other day, a regular, the batteries we have today, you're not supposed to throw them out, say like a nine volt. Why right. is that? What, what is in there that, that runs these things for so long and then is so toxic? Well, you know, what, basically, and I'm, I'm being generalistic because it doesn't work, isn't worth getting into too much detail. Okay. You require heavier metals to uh, store an electric charge and... For most of the batteries in the world, we started with lead. And, of course, we all know lead is not a good thing to have uh, in the environment. And the good news over the last two decades is something like 97.8% of all batteries on Earth, even in the developing countries, are now recycled. Mm. It's actually less expensive to recycle and recapture the lead than mine the lead directly. So that's good news. And the same is then we went to nickel-cadmium batteries, which are even more dense and have storage. And, of course, cadmium, nickel is fine, but cadmium is, is also not good for the environment. And that's the same thing. We recycle those. And those two are, the, are, were, are were really most of the major battery material on the planet. And then lately, because of cell phones and now laptops and hybrid vehicles, we've moved to lithium-ion batteries. They're actually safer for the environment. But you don't want batteries littering, you know, and, you know, all over the place and being landfills. Right. And frankly, it's it's still more cost effective to instead of mining for 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 lithium, you to uh, recycle it. So the good news is, um, you know, we've created uh, through municipalities and corporations ways to recycle these batteries, and uh, and that's good because we can reuse them. We can break them down and pull the, the, the major components of the batteries out and uh, reutilize them just like they were coming from a lithium or, or cadmium or lead mine in the first place. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use offer code SMART11. Help out the show. Help out our wonderful sponsor. Guys, seriously, we couldn't be more sincere here. Squarespace is constantly improving their platform with new features, designs, and better support. Squarespace has over 20 highly customizable templates for you to choose from. They've also won numerous design awards from prestigious institutions like FWA, the Webbies, and Forbes. It's super easy, and it's only $8 a month, and that includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. I'm actually building a website for a friend of mine, and I am using Squarespace because it's that easy, and we've checked them all out. John knows them. This one's great. Start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code SMART11, and you get 10% off a free trial, and you help support the show. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. 
Oh, that's really interesting. I'm sure there's a lot of people that already know that or could wiki search it, but I just I was wondering well, I, that the other day. It's good you ask these questions because you know it's funny. I just wrote an article uh, in uh, one of the solar blogs on you got to start using batteries more for not only having power liability but power quality. About a third of the things we blame our computer and software problems are are actually surges out of the wall socket or sags under voltages or transient spurts of electrons and it wreaks havoc on digital equipment, wow. actually can burn out equipment. And if you're running your electricity through battery banks, it's very clean, very stable. So, and in fact, a lot of the reasons I'm asked to put in solar and wind battery systems all over the world for companies is for power quality in addition to power reliability. So... Um, so batteries have a lot of value, uh, cash and economic value, uh, if you use them correctly and size them correctly and team them up with renewables and recycle them and they're lasting longer. I have uh, batteries with 10-year warranties and even 20-year warranties. So wow. that, those are long, those are becoming longer. And there are some technologies out there that I believe will have 25, maybe even 50-year batteries down the line. That'd be amazing. Yeah, it'd be great for our cell phones. <laughs> well, that will be sure. <laughs> you know, and this got me thinking. We The last episode we did, I had a uh, kind of an epiphany. It was something small that I'd never thought of before. And then this is going to do the same. Could you explain to me and our listeners how I mean, when I plug something into the wall, I actually don't think at all about where that energy comes from, the right. you know what I'm using, how it's detrimental to the environment. Could you kind of give us your your knowledge on that? Yeah, well, you know that's been sort of the problem about energy is that it's sort of invisible. You know, it comes either in in wires to your home or in a natural gas pipeline and. People really don't think about where it starts out and what it happens. And, and I teach two um, interdisciplinary courses on energy at George Washington University. And the first thing I tell my students are that we use more water in the extraction and conversion of energy than we do to grow our food. <laughs> wow. We use just shy of 90% of our water for energy and growing our food. And most of that goes to, uh, and, a, and a little bit more goes to energy than 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 food production. Eleven percent is for everything else, and we have less fresh water every every single day because of the pollution, because of the of the change in climate and rain patterns. So, it, water is going to be the critical mineral and and crit critical necessity of life in the 21st century, and means we're going to have to look at at energy technologies that require less water. And guess what? Uh, photovoltaics and wind turbines, even uh, wave and tidal power, they don't use up water at all. Hmm. You know, so uh, geothermal. So, uh, you know, so we have uh, technologies that are less water intense. The second thing is uh, 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 seven years ago, a little over half of our electricity came from coal. About a quarter came from natural gas. About just shy of 20% came from nuclear. A little over 10% came from hydropower. So, uh, and about 1% from heavy oil, fossil uh, petroleum. So the majority of our energy came from sort of traditional energy sources. Uh, hydro is the only exception, of course, that's renewable. 
And so, but last year, the first time in history of the United States of America, there was more new electricity brought in on the lines from renewable energy than traditional energy in 2012. First time ever. Wow. And so that's, and by the way, private sector investment renewables topped in 2012, $269 billion. <laughs> when I started 40 years ago, it was, it was just over $100 million. Wow. So, you know, so just think of the, that growth in 40 years. And that's just private sector investment. Those don't include government investments, which are nearly uh, $750 uh, billion. So we're having almost a, a trillion dollars of investment increasing in double digits every year for the last seven years happening. So we're in the midst of a revolution in electric use similar to what we've had in communications with cell phones, uh, the internet, and uh, data. So the whole issue of more distributed communication technology closer to the end user, we're going to have more distributed energy closer to the end user. Do you see the same thing on the political side? I mean, is this clean energy starting to get over the, those hurdles where you do have those uh, other form of energy companies that lobby so hard against? Well, know, they, you know, obviously they lobby hard and they're very powerful and, uh, and they don't want to lose their market share. But, you know, I think it's generational. And, and by the right. way, it crosses political lines. I mean, for instance, the state of Georgia just voted a 500 megawatt requirement for solar. And it's a very conservative state. And the Tea Party was uh, a big part of why that, that was set. So, you know, we find people with all political stripes saying, hey, we want to have choice in the marketplace. Uh, we don't necessarily want to condone monopolies. Their job is not to set the choices for us. Mm -hmm. We as customers set the choices and work out ways in which we can create a marketplace for options in energy, just like we have an options in communications. And um, so we're going to see a change. And, you know, utilities aren't monolithic either. I mean, we have municipal utilities like Austin Energy in Texas and Sacramento and Los Angeles and Santa Barbara in California and Gainesville in Florida, Long Island Power Authority. These are city-owned utilities. Very bullish on energy efficiency and renewables. And y younger utility executives who have their, their MP3 players and their hybrid vehicles, and they're not afraid of the new technology. They're, when they talk to me, they just go, I really like it. I think it's cool. How do we make money on it? Right. That's the yeah. question. Right. Well, and I was going to ask you because I know that um, you, let's see, I know you worked for, I think, two years at the solar lobby. Is that yes. right? And I was wondering a couple of things. A, what did that entail? But B, what? how would somebody lobby against you? I mean, what, what <laughs> argument do they have when they're like, no, no, we want to light fossil well, fuel that, on fire? That, you know, that was as a result of, you know, in the 70s, the environmental movement, the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act. And, of course, a lot of this renewable energy legislation in the 70s as a result of the oil embargoes. Uh, the environmental community, the nine big environmental groups, created a nonprofit to promote uh, clean energy. They called the solar lobby, but back then everything was, you know, all the renewables were considered solar energy. It really is. And so I was the political director, the advocate. But the big companies came in and said, well, that's not real. 
you know, and back then it was, you had to say, very few people had it. And it's so expensive and there's no science behind it. You know, so we've heard that, you know, and so they really just sort of ridiculed it. And, you know, but, you know, now that I'm, I'm an adjunct professor, I, I sort of look at, you know, I study the other inventors, the, the ones that were the famous ones. And by the way, they were all ridiculed. We mm-hmm. romanticized them now. But when they were starting their, their inventions, they were absolutely ridiculed in the press and by the existing industries, the automakers like Henry Ford, you know, were, were ridiculed because those, and the cars were sort of goofy when they started. <laughs> you know, there were no roads. It was on the dirt. Horses could go faster. Horses were cheaper, you know. And, of course, um, it, even in my lifetime, you know, I lived before computers and the adding machine people thought computers were stupid. And, uh, you know, and why would you use them? So, and the, and the telephone companies belittled cellular saying who would spend, you know, 15 times more for a unit of communication in a country with 99.9% quality service. So all these inventions that we take for granted were actually ridiculed. And that made me feel a little more certain that as the technology proved itself out through the space program and for other reasons that we would, uh, be able to, 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 to make it be a reality. Do you think any of these larger companies are ever going to catch on to it? Because like you said, you know, this happened with cars. You see it in the music, movie industry, internet, now power, energy, all that kind of stuff. At some point, somebody's going to be like, oh, you know what? We should probably invest in these new technologies and move forward with them. Well, you know, they have in different ways. Actually, um, the, the funny uh, article I saw just yesterday was that Walmart uses has on its stores more solar energy than 36 states. <laughs> so one company has wow. become a giant consumer of solar energy, as wow. an example. Uh, but there are some companies, and I'll, uh, General Electric is, is one of them. They are the largest. Uh, they have a solar division for solar photovoltaics, but their, their actually largest division is their wind energy division. They are the largest manufacturer of wind turbines in the United States of America and one of the largest in the world. And they make more profit off of that subsidiary than almost any of their others. Hmm. So we do have large corporations, uh, some that you don't think about that make, uh, you know, the, the, the aluminum for photovoltaic, you know, the frames for solar panels and the towers for wind turbines. Uh, but lots of companies in this industry now, I mean, this is a $100 billion industry in the United States of America. Now, that sounds large, but the oil and coal industries are much larger than that. But as we're seeing is the renewables are growing in double digits every year, and uh, these other industries are not growing that fast or have plateaued. And in fact, coal, which was 52% of our electricity seven years ago, is below 35% today mostly due to natural gas and renewables. Hmm. So um, we're going to see some big changes in the United States on the energy, and they're going to be cleaner, and it's going to be more reliable, but there are going to be a lot of spats and uh, political uh, give and take. Uh, It's going to be a bumpy road. It's not going to go smoothly because no old industry wants to give way to newer industries. 
what fuel, what energy, I guess, are we using the most now? What's providing us with most of our energy right now? Well, it depends. In the transportation sector, and I think in, in solid economic dollars, it's still it's petroleum. Um, and uh, now we're producing, because of shale oil, more of our petroleum. But in fact, uh, we're still importing uh, half of our petroleum. And uh, even if we, you know... Uh, dug holes on the outer continental shelf and drilled in the Arctic National Wildlife Reserve, uh, you know, we might bring it down to only importing 25% of our petroleum, but that would only last for 60 years and we drain it all away and that's it. So you have to be thoughtful. You know, when I hear, by the way, and I, you know, I, I, I have no problem with natural gas necessarily. I have problems with some of the fracking, but you know, they're talking about, well, we have 90 years of natural gas. Well, that's one lifetime. You know, my grandmother lived to 104. So, you know, 90 years sounds like a long time. It really isn't. You know, people <laughs> are living in their 70s and 80s now. It's one lifetime. Wow. So renewables are the ones that are, are the long-term play. And I give to my class the 25 top studies in the world on the, all the different aspects of renewable energy and energy efficiency. And if you take them in aggregate, they say that with technology we have today, we can meet most or all of our energy needs in the United States or in the world with high-value energy efficiency and renewables. And these are prestigious organizations and papers like MIT saying we have uh, conservatively 10% of our electricity from geothermal. And the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, uh, 20% from wind. And uh, Navigant, uh, uh, 12% on just building-based renewable energy like solar and uh, geothermal heat pumps. And 8% from just waste heat that we just drop in the atmosphere from industrial processes, things like that. So we have a huge amount of technology that if employed and utilized because we save money, uh, we can uh, not have to export our dollars for oil or any other resource and, won't, and don't have to worry about the pollution or the water use that using these traditional resources uh, require. You know, and I meant to ask you that earlier, and then John rudely interrupted me. But um, when you said you said we use all this water to create energy, could you briefly touch on that? Because I have no idea how or why that would happen. Well, we do refining in the United States. For every uh, gallon of petroleum, we use five gallons of water. If we're looking at the use of fracking, it's using three to six percent of a regional water supply. We use we're most of most of our electricity is steam cycle, meaning we create steam, we create heat. What nuclear, natural gas, petroleum, coal all have in common is all we're doing is heating water to create steam to turn a steam turbine, and oh, that steam okay. goes into the atmosphere. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I hear a lot of people make these speeches that, oh, no, it goes back into the river. does not. It hmm. goes into the atmosphere. And there are a couple of wonderful studies done on that. About 70% of it goes in the atmosphere, and it falls in the ocean somewhere. You know, and that, that's, this is fresh water. Right. You know, it's different if you're making, using salt water. We're using fresh water. We're using drinking water. We're using <laughs> irrigation water. 
and we don't have that water. Right. We don't. We can't waste that water like we could in the good old days. We have seven billion people on this planet. When I was born, it was under three billion. It has doubled. Wow. And the requirements on water and energy are so huge that we've got to really create technologies that use the least amount of water and energy so we're not using up precious resources or ruining our health. That is an amazing point. And I love that. I love how every episode we do, we learn something that I totally didn't expect. And tying energy to to water, and because we all know, I mean, that's the thing. Water, we drink it, we deal with it every day. We shower, we flush the toilet. People right. you know. cannot live without water. Yeah. And by the way, we use a lot of energy for the water. And by in on the East Coast, eighteen percent of the energy in our electric grid moves water and sewage around. Jesus. In, in the West, it's thirty three percent of the electric grid. So we use immense amount of energy moving water. And part of it is because we move it so far because we're not being very efficient with it. And so, you know, we need to start rethinking how we're doing in in a world that's growing. So it's going to be 9 billion people, you know, when you guys are my age. Yeah. Well, that's more than the earth has never seen 7 billion people. Now it's going to be 9 billion people. And they want TVs and cars and refrigerators (laughs) just like everybody else on the planet. And so we have to really rethink the way we're doing things as we've done in communications and information. You know, we're not cutting as many trees down for paper because we're using we are using more electronic information. We don't need to print it on a page. Uh, you know, we don't have all these dial phones. We have these little tiny cellular phones, you know, so less material intensive. You know, those are the kinds of things we need to move to, and we will move to them. The issue is we want to do it in time so we don't have uh, real shortages that that we all have to live through. Sure. It was just funny when you said that, how much energy we use to move water around. I'm like, okay, so we use water to make energy, and then the energy we make we use to move the water. Yes, that's the point. And and that's uh, why I teach these interdisciplinary courses on energy, which has a lot of emphasis on water and risk because I'm trying to show that it's all interconnected and we got to stop looking at things as I'm just interested in water policy or land use policy or energy policy. It's, it's all interconnected and you got to look at it a little more comprehensively. Well, I'm so glad. And, and that's really fantastic stuff. I appreciate it. It's eye opening and enlightening. And I just want to say, you know, thank you so much for being on the show and, and sharing this all with us. I know that I was looking at your website and stuff, and I know you wrote a book. I think, did you co-author the Consumer I co-authored guy? two books, one on the history of uh, biofuels uh, that was reprinted uh, for its uh, second printing at the University of Nebraska Press called The Forbidden Fuel. And my co-author won a Pulitzer Prize, so he's, he's the better writer. <laughs> and, uh, and then another book called The Consumer Guide to Solar Energy that's been in its third printing. But um, I also want to invite you guys on this podcast, since you're in Arlington, you should do a live podcast doing tours of my zero energy building sometime. We would you love know, to I do that. you got to get out in the field and touch the technology, and we can make it exciting enough, even though people can't see it, to have interesting questions. So I want you to think about it, and I've, I've just asked you publicly right here on your podcast. You know what? We're going to do it. And I just bought a nice camera, so what we'll do is we'll film some of it so people can see it. 
unbelievable. I love it. I love it. I mean, it's like we're in the 21st century. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just try not to use too much water in the process of it. Very you know? <laughs> good. That's true. Well, I have bourbon or scotch. Maybe that will help. Oh, man. What's your favorite bourbon? Uh, my Well, my favorite bourbon lately has been Hudson. Hudson? That's probably, right. I think that sounds too classy for me. Well, you know, that could not, you know, it doesn't have to be. It yeah. doesn't have to be. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I'm a Woodford guy. Oh, I like Woodford very much. Yeah, and yeah. I like the the uh, the Bullet Rye. Yeah, John's a Bullet fan. I like Bullet Rye too, and I just have a bottle of that. And then my favorite Scotch, single malt Scotch, is Lafroy. Lafroy, my brother a very loves that. Yeah, my brother loves that. I that was the first Scotch I ever had. And it, I was not prepared for the taste. <laughs> yeah, I have to develop a taste for it, but once it does, it starts growing on you. Yeah, and then I love it. Well, I, I know we took up a little extra time, but it's this is a fan, just a fantastic uh, topic, and really appreciate you being on the show. And believe me, we will, we'll come, we'll come see the office. Oh, and- I'd love you to do it. it. Just has to be on a sunny day because a lot of it, of course, is on the outside. Right. But love to have you. It's a block from Tenth and Wilson Boulevard two blocks from the Clarendon Metro. Oh, wow. That's right down the street. Yeah, right down the road. All right, Scott. Well, thank you so much. Is there anywhere else that our listeners could go to learn about what you do? Maybe they are in a position where they're looking to employ these techniques. Anything that you could kind of drive them towards? Well, there are lots of wonderful websites out there. And on my website, I have a list of all these different websites from the Florida Solar Energy Center and the North Carolina Solar Energy Center and the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. And so there are just all these wonderful places. And, of course, many states have their local chapters of the Solar Energy Industries Association or the American Solar Energy Society, the technical organization. And that the American Solar Energy Society publishes Solar Today, their own um, magazine about this stuff. And there's also Renewable Energy World, which is one of the more informative websites out there. And then your your website is the Stella Group Ltd.com, yes, right? All spelled out, not very consumer friendly, but <laughs> yes. And and basically it's just a reference of a lot of places you can go to get information. That's great. That's perfect. Well, Scott, thank you so much and um enjoy enjoy your bourbon and we will I'm sure we'll be in touch soon. I hope so. You right. guys have a good evening. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I hope you guys had as much fun listening to that conversation as Chris and I did. We truly had a good time talking to Scott. We did, actually. And I just thought of something. What? You were going to say something? Oh, no. Go on. Oh. I, I have a new little outro thing that I want to do. It's a segment called Blow My Mind. And I'm going to tell you what blew my mind every episode. This episode, it was Scott's beard. That thing was awesome. He knows he's got an awesome beard. And that blew my mind. John, what blew your mind? You bringing that up, I'd have to say the amount of water that we're consuming, not just from consuming drinking, but with all of our ways of getting energy, we just use tons of water. And like you pointed out, we use water to make energy, and then we use energy to move the water. And it seems like it reminds me of that old Brian Regan bit when he's like, oh, you guys needed logs down here and you needed logs down there as two log trucks are passing each other. Will you put will you put that bit on our site? Sure. I'll play it right now. No, will you put it on our site on our on our. Um... Oh, yeah. I'll post that on there. There's got to be a YouTube video of that. That blew my mind, too. It gets depressing sometimes. But what was cool is talking to Scott 
and being able to see his reactions as he talked, you see how fired up he gets and excited about the future. I mean, we are really, for all the crappy things we do, we have super smart people working on fixing this and making solar panels, harnessing the sun via a, a sheet of material. It's, it's craziness. I, I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah, and I really enjoyed that he was a bourbon guy. Oh, that, that was, was fun too. that was great at the end. But, but you can't have more than one player mind. So. Okay, that that wasn't that wasn't a blow my mind. <laughs> that was like kind of breeze through the mind. But anyways, guys, please head over to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Use the Amazon banner up the top of the page. It's Any, holiday season. Yeah, it's holiday season. You're going to be buying gifts for people. Just go over to our page first, click the banner and then do your shopping and we get a nice little kickback and it can be our little holiday surprise bonus that we receive so that was enough of the outro thanks for checking us out guys tell a friend much love